Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Um, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, out of 1 Corinthians 15, starting here in verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church in modern-day Greece, the church at Corinth, first-century Greece. Paul writes in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men are the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And he has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, I uh, ask now that as we seek to study your word, that you would empower me with your spirit to make it all about you and um, to, to lead us to the truth of your word. Um, God, I pray right now that you would do for me what I can't do for myself, and that is anoint my, my mouth and my words with your spirit. I ask, Father, for you to speak to us. That's why we're here, not to hear a sermon, an Easter sermon from Andrew, but to hear in a special way, a mysterious way, to hear the voice of you, the voice of your spirit. So, God, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, on this Easter Sunday morning, I'd like to preach from the sermon title, The Pillar of Hope. The Pillar of Hope. That's what we see the Apostle Paul talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking about the load-bearing pillar for the Christian faith, and that is the event of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ being the load-bearing pillar of the entire Christian faith. The pillar of of hope. Now, I think it's important to start here by making a distinction uh, about what we mean when we say hope. The word hope in our modern cultural time has a bit of a different idea than more of a historical, ancient, biblical understanding of hope. And in the common day and age, when we use the word hope, we're often thinking about something optimistically. It's wishful thinking. It's positive expectations. Stuff like, I hope my team wins. I hope I pass the exam. I hope I get the job. I hope my kids behave. I was thinking that as I came up. I hope Evie doesn't play with that plant. She did. Um, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope that there's waves. You fill in the blank, but you get the idea. It's sort of like this 50-50 coin flip wishful thinking. We'll see what happens. But when the Bible speaks about the word hope, it speaks about it in a completely different light. Not as this optimistic expectation, but as this confident, concrete reality. 
when, when you see in Scripture the idea of hope, it's, it's more, like I just said, of this idea of a pillar. Think of it this way. Hope is, in Scripture, a load-bearing pillar that you're building your entire life upon. A load-bearing pillar that you're building your entire life upon. The big idea is that it's rooted in concrete reality. I'll give you an example. Uh, last weekend, I was away in California. Florida 2.0, some have called it. I didn't say that, but it's pretty nice. It's like what Florida could have been in some ways. Um, I prefer our headlines over California, personally. Uh, the infamous Florida man. Anyway, there in California, I was uh, visiting for the weekend to be in an old friend of mine's uh, wedding. was a groomsman in the wedding. It was a great time. On the way back, I had a connecting flight in Dallas, and I had high hopes for this connecting flight. The main reason why is because I was traveling alone. Parents, do you know what I'm talking about? A whole different story. I had never been so prepared to travel and be a passenger on an airplane in my entire life. I had my seat picked out. I was at the gate early. I had gummy bears. I had everything that you need for that flight. I had chewing gum for the ear popping thing. I had all of my uh, devices charged. All my shows downloaded in every way I was ready to go. Even going through security, I feel like I'm getting good. Like without kids, I felt like, like a runway model in between outfits with my shoes. I just had it down. Uh, I, was so I was so hopeful. And, and when it came to every metric, to getting on this flight and, and ending up back home safe to my family, had my dad waiting for me there at the airport, lo and behold, we've all been through this before, flight gets you know, delayed. It gets delayed. It happens, right? You, we have flight delays from time to time. An hour later, another delay. An hour later, another delay. There I am at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport after three hours of delays, and a voice comes over the intercom, and it says, ladies and gentlemen, we want to inform you the reason why this flight is delayed, you ready for this, is because we cannot find a pilot. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, you need, you need one of those. <laughs> Part of me was like, I'll try, you know. <laughs> I was that desperate to get home. Never in my life how have I experienced this. It ended up turning to a whole canceled flight. I ended up uh, enjoying a nice uh, camp out, crying myself to sleep on the terminal floor. At, it's not funny. At Dallas. Fort Worth Airport, ended up flying out of there. But because of all the weather delays, one of the pilots got stranded. They tried to bring in a standby crew, and they had exceeded their FAA or FHA? FHA is a loan, isn't it? Let's not talk about debt today. Let's go to FAA, okay? So they exceeded their FAA flight hours, and so they, we even had gotten on the plane with this, and they said, sorry, we, we can't. And uh, you should have encountered that with me. A bunch of Floridians flying back to Florida with their flight canceled in Dallas people of Florida, for sure. Um, so I found my way off the plane, and I started thinking, wow, it didn't matter how prepared I was. It didn't matter how hopeful I was. There were certain ordering of things in reality that no hopeful, wishful thinking would get me through. No matter how hopeful I was or prepared I was, there was no way for me to get to Florida on that plane because there was a missing link. There was a pillar there. You need pilots to fly airplanes. Now, just as a pilot is to air travel, it's as if Paul would tell us here that is the resurrection to hope. 
It doesn't matter how wishful we are. At the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the load-bearing pillar that we're building our life upon? What's the reality that we're building our life upon? Recently, we did some work in my house, and we ended up taking out one of these sectional dividing walls to open up the living room and the kitchen. And the ultimate question in removing that wall was to ask, is it what? Is it load-bearing? When we take this wall out, is the house going to come down with it? Now, if we are going to test the foundations of physical structures, why wouldn't we test the foundations of spiritual structures? Just think for a second. What's the pillar of your life? What's the thing that you are building your hope upon? What's the integrity of it? How trustworthy is it? How is it going for you? You see, I've found in my life that there is no stronger, there is no greater, more sturdy, more reliable pillar than Jesus. And sometimes what God will do is he'll allow other pillars to fail so that we can fall on him. Maybe that's what you've experienced in life, setback to setback to setback. You trying to be the own Lord of your life has left you where you are right now, empty and still longing and still broken. Can I tell you, that's the best thing that can happen to you. Because now you're able to fall on Jesus as your ultimate hope. That's what Paul is leading us to understand here. So that's my question. I asked it already as what is your hope? What is your hope today? And another way I said to ask that is what is your pillar? Here in 1 Corinthians, it's like Paul makes it really clear that that hope that we have in Jesus, it is based on this event called the resurrection of Jesus, that he rose from the dead, which I also think is really awesome. Like the hope that we have as Christians is not just some sort of abstract or ambiguous kind of thing. It's this absolute real event that happened. Like anytime we're curious, do I have hope? Do I have hope? I look at the resurrection. I look at what happened on Easter 2,000 years ago. It's amazing, right? It's like you can be and feel hopeless and still be hopeful. Then on the other hand, you can feel hopeful and be hopeless. It's been said a lot of people had high hopes in the Titanic. Man, this is is the unsinkable. Some of you think that way today. My life, the way I'm living, the direction I'm going, it's unsinkable, unthwartable purpose, unbreakable hope. The scriptures teach that there is no other foundation that anyone can lay except that which has been laid, and that's Jesus. And when you look in scripture, you see this idea of of the resurrection being a centerpiece of that. Uh, Paul writes, or Peter writes it this way. This was our verse that we studied last year at Easter. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So if you were to, like, examine the word hope, the, the Christian word hope, it would have the word resurrection all over it. If you were to look closely, this event is the pillar of our hope. And for Paul, that's how it was. We read it there. Everything hinged on this resurrection. Um, the way I thought of it, and here I am with my prop, hopefully, I don't, I don't have a magician's wand or anything. Let me just take this off. I didn't want it to distract you. You ever played Jenga before? Best game. Best game. Now they have jumbo Jenga. Way too much money at Dick's Sporting Goods. Don't buy it. Um, <laughs> but if you ever played the game of Jenga before, playing with some friends at my house yesterday, the way it works is the goal of the game is to remove any block lower than the third tier down and place it on the top of the tower, and you keep going until the thing topples over. Let's give this a try. Oh, see, now the way you play is if you touch it, you got to go for it now. So let's see. Is anybody, okay, we're safe. Let me see what's going to happen here. Yep, that's bad. Hold on. Okay. Now you got to yell Jenga if it falls, okay? 
but you don't need to. You don't need to. There it is. Now, you keep going through a game. Who's played Jenga before? Come on, we all have, right? Now, you keep going until you find that there is this single piece, and it holds everything else together. It's the Jenga piece. It's the resurrection piece, so to speak. For Paul, that's how he saw this event. And the way he begins to describe the weight of it, like because that's what he's trying to communicate, he's trying to help Christians gain a deep appreciation for the fact that Jesus is alive. And sometimes the best way to appreciate something is to imagine life without it. Sometimes entitlement is the greatest enemy to true gratitude, isn't it? We can be so used to so many of the privileges we have, and maybe you've experienced this before. You've gone to like a third world country, or you had another experience, and all of a sudden, by imagining life without the blessings you have, you become a lot more thankful for them. You never know what you have until it's gone. And so Paul's beginning to help Christians understand what it would be like if you removed the resurrection, this pillar of hope. And he paints a picture for how the Christian faith, if you were to remove that piece, the way he tries to stir the, the appreciation is the whole tower of the Christian faith would fall apart. Like, it's not a coincidence that Easter is such a central event for Christians all throughout history and also globally. It's not a coincidence. This is our hope. Now, we see him give a few ways in this breakdown. Now, it, 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 it builds off this idea in verse 14, right, where he says this, if Christ is not risen, it's the Jenga piece, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. That's where he begins in verse 14. Like, if this didn't happen, right, C.S. Lewis said it this way, like, Christianity, if it's true, it's of extreme importance. If it's not true, if Jesus didn't rise, it's of no importance. But the only thing this cannot be is mildly important. That's the only thing it can't be. We've got to look into this. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if he did, that means a lot. And if he didn't, it also means a lot. If this never happened, he says, then our preaching, our faith, everything, our study, our, the Christian, it's empty. It's a, it's a wallet. It might look like Christianity, but inside there's no money. It's an empty bank account. And he explains a few few ways that that plays out. The Jenga piece, as you pull it, Paul describes three things that we lose. Let's look at these. Three things that we lose if Jesus didn't rise from the dead as Christians. The first thing is we lose the whole truth of Christ. The whole truth of Christ. If we were to remove that Jenga piece, the whole truth that we are building our lives upon falls apart. Now, I want to emphasize the word there, truth. The truth of Jesus Christ. Every single person in this room and in this universe is on a search for that word. Even Jesus, just prior to being crucified, was asked by Pontius Pilate, what is truth? I mean, what's truth? And we, we know that there's a lot of ambiguous and confusing things about this world. It's a bit of a mystery what's going on right now. We're just on this planet, in this universe. It's crazy when you start to think about it. But there's this search within the heart. As we're here, as we're doing life, we're going, what is this all about? And it's been said that there are generally four questions or topics that every worldview and every person is ultimately seeking to answer when it comes to truth. It's these four things. Meaning, why am I here? What's this all for? Origin, where did this all come from? The good and the bad and the ugly, the beautiful and the difficult, the light and the darkness, all of it. Where did this all come from? Origin. Morality, how do I know what's right and what's wrong? How do I know if, what's the mark? How do I determine that? And then destiny, where's this all headed, right? You ever ask that? Where am I headed? Is it really YOLO and then it's done? 
I mean, do people still say that? No? Okay. Um, you get it. Is it, is it. I mean, what's my destiny? Is there a greater purpose than just to live, eat, drink, and be married because tomorrow I die? What's my destiny? What's my meaning? What's my origin? What's morality? Everyone's seeking to answer this question. And that's, I think, a great discussion to have. I love having conversations with other people of, of different faiths, of different perspectives, and seeing uh, why they believe about what they believe. But I, I ultimately seek to ask the question, how did you get there? How did you get there? Who told you that's true? I mean, I had to do this growing up in the Christian faith. Like, everyone told me, these, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. It's like, okay. Some of us, it was the same thing. We grew up in church, being taught the truth, never really investigating it for ourselves. And I would say, that's not faith at all. If you just believe because you've been told to believe this, but you yourself have never asked the questions or done the work yourselves, those aren't your answers. Those are someone else's answers. And can I tell you, maybe you don't know the Christian faith to be this way, but, but did you know that this is the invitation that the scriptures actually give every person? that Jesus gives. We know Jesus came on the scene and he proclaimed. We, we know it. I just said the verse. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the truth. You, you can find the truth in me, but Jesus invites us to explore that. And, and I would challenge you to do that. I would challenge you, if you haven't done that, if you haven't put Christianity under the microscope, I would challenge you to investigate the claims that the Christian faith makes. Certainly the scriptures teach that it's about truth, but What's amazing about the Christian faith is that it's truth that can be verified. Wait, I thought I'd just blindly believe it. No. You don't do that about anything else. You investigate it. And I believe that the Christian faith, when, when, when scrutinized and put under the deepest investigation, will always be proven true. Yeah. And you don't have to clap if you don't believe that. Like, I haven't done it, but, you know. Find out. I love here. Paul says, when it comes to the resurrection, he says, if Jesus didn't rise, the thing that's at stake here is the truth of Christianity. Because we, the apostles, who Jesus gave the Bible, who inspired the truth through, we are the ones who are claiming that we saw him alive after his death. And if he never rose, here's what, he, here's what that means. Did you guys see him say that in verse 15? If he never rose, then here's the Jenga piece. You pull it out, here's the problem. We as his witnesses are found to be false witnesses of God, and we've testified about a lie. Now, the apostles were just 11 of over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection. This is not, for some reason, this is like part of the gospel, the message of Christianity that gets left out a lot. It's earlier in this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. It's the same chapter we're in right now, where Paul is delivering, verse 3, the gospel to all those that are there. And he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. That's how you know someone's died. Evidence, number one, for his death. How do you know he died? He was buried for three days. There's record of that in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. Today they have failed to produce a body. We know that as well. And that he, was, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, just having an empty tomb doesn't necessarily mean that he's risen. Right? There's grave robbers or whatever the thought may be. There was kind of a big stone in front of that that was guarded by Roman centurions. But anyway, wasn't going to happen. But anyway, this claim here is not just that there was an empty tomb that he was buried, but that he rose. And here's the evidence of that. This is one of the, the greatest evidences in the court of law. It's an eyewitness testimony. It says that he appeared to people. 
People saw him. Now, here's what was crazy. The first two people he appeared to, do we know who they were? Mary. Two women. Now, if, listen, if you were making up a religion in that time, a chauvinistic culture, that, that women were not even able to testify, that their, their opinion, their witness, their testimony, it wouldn't even stand in a court of law. And isn't it awesome that Jesus chose to reveal himself to women first? He's like, I don't respect your little cultural hoopahs, you know? I made that word up. <laughs> it's as if it happened. And then he appears to the disciples. And then here's, what, here's the deal, I love this. Paul goes on to say, and then 500 more. And he says this, some are still around. Like, that's the coolest part. He's not like, oh, yeah, a bunch of 500 people saw him. Who? Oh, just these 500 people. He says this, you know them. It's like Dale. You know Dale? He saw him. Dale in church, the guy? Him. Like, that's the idea. Come investigate it. Come seek the truth. Jesus said that when you know the truth, you will be set free. Here's what's on the other side of this investigation. That is just one of, of many uh, areas of that. There's so much great re uh, evidence of this. I would encourage you to check out uh, what is one of the bestsellers of uh, Christian books of all time. It's called The Case for Christ, where a journalist, an investigative journalist, Lee Strobel, investigates all the claims of Jesus, the historicity of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And he was, um, started that investigation as an atheist, finished that investigation as a follower of Jesus. And I believe that the same will happen to you as Jesus opens your eyes to the truth that is in him. Because we need the truth, guys. You weren't created to wonder your way through life. Did you know that? There's, I get it. There's some mysteries. But you were created to know the truth, and that truth is in Jesus. And this resurrection, if you look at this, this it, it, it's amazing what that does. When you pull the resurrection out, you lose that truth. And it's the whole truth. And nothing but the truth, so help you God, right? That's the idea. And it's amazing because in as much as our court system values the truth, uh, truth is also sort of a lost value. Today it's more and more about your truth and my truth. And I'm all for the freedom in exploring different ideas. But we don't need your truth. You don't need my truth. We need the truth like we do. Imagine the court of law. Hey, I want you, do you swear? I testify to tell my truth, nothing but my truth, so help me God. We'll know what happened. I don't know, but I'll give you my subjective perspective. It's like, no, we want the facts. We all are longing for that, and it's found ultimately, as I said, in the person of Jesus. Um, it, would be pretty, it would be pretty ironic and sad if the resurrection didn't happen, because not only does that mean 500 people lied about what they said they saw, but history tells us, not just scripture, history tells us that most of those people, they died for what they saw. They were martyrs for Jesus. I love the old one too. Like even Jesus' brother became a Christian. Like my brother's here. Like if I told my brother, hey, I'm the Messiah, believe in me, he'd be like, shut up, you're Andrew, you know? <laughs> and that's what his brothers did. His brothers rejected him. His brothers were like, now get out of here. What, ha what would it take for you to worship your sibling? You know what it would take? It would take the truth. That's about it. No, no, we don't want to lose that. It would be foolish to think that 500 people died in vain. Who would die for a lie? I mean, come on. 
Like maybe they kept it going, but the second that that, that pit is prepared with those lions, that, that beheading is before them, they're going to go, JK. But they didn't. They gave their lives for this. They gave their lives for what they saw. You pull out the resurrection, you lose truth. The second thing you lose is you lose the saving work of Christ. This is huge. Uh, the next scripture that we see there is in verse 17. He says, if Christ is not risen, not only is this all a big lie that people are claiming they saw, but your faith is futile, empty, and you're still in the problem you were in before Jesus came into your life, which is sin. You're still in your sins. If Jesus never rise, rose from the dead, you're still in your sin. Let's, let's unpack this for a second. This is the second argument Paul makes. You pull out the resurrection, you lose salvation of your sins. Now, we know that this is and this was the mission of Jesus. Jesus was not just a historical Jewish man who taught a few things about the kingdom of God. We celebrate on Christmas that he was God becoming a man. God manifested in the flesh. He came to earth on a rescue mission. God had to come do for man what, couldn't, what man couldn't do for themselves. So God came. He clothed himself in humanity. He lived an ordinary isolated John Doe life with this ultimate goal as he was called to go to a cross. Now, the, the scriptures say it this way. I love the way that Paul says in 1 Timothy. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why did he come? To save sinners of whom I am chief. And I think this is really important who's saying that, right? Because a lot of times I think we um, have created in the church the distinction between who the sinners are and who the sinners aren't. Who's in, who's out. Who's right, who's wrong. And um, maybe that's kind of been what you've experienced. Part of the reason why you don't want to go to church anymore is because everybody acts so fake and high and holy and mighty. And um, I just want to say here at Solus Church that we don't believe the greatest thing we could give to you is a perfect example. The greatest gift that we can give is vulnerability and our own need for grace. This is not a church. If you came here because your last church was messed up and this is the one that's going to fix it, oh boy. <laughs> wow. In Proverbs it says, like, where there are no ox, the trough is clean. Modern version is like, where there are no teenagers, the bedroom's clean. Okay? <laughs> where there are no people, the church is clean. But where there's church, there's people. And where there's people, there's a mess. Welcome to the mess. And so here's the Apostle Paul saying, Jesus came to save sinners. And he, this is the Apostle Paul, right? This is like, oh, Paul. Halo stained glass Paul. And he goes, out of all the sinners, he goes, chief sinner, what's up? And what's really interesting about this is this is Paul at the end, nearing the end of his life. Some of us, we think of Christianity as like, the longer I live, the better I like what I see in the mirror. I used to be a sinner. But now I'm chief saint, you know? Paul goes, here I am. The longer I walk with Jesus, the, the more I see who Jesus is. And compared to my life, the more I see who I'm not. And I just say, God, thank you for your grace. This is what Jesus came to do, save sinners. The point here is, who are those sinners? And it's every human being created in the image of God for God. But we have fallen from God. We are in our father, Adam, who is our representative for righteousness, for doing the right thing or the wrong thing. We are in him. And that sin that Adam committed against God, it's a, it's a genetic disease that has led to all of us. It says in Romans 5 that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. 
wasn't the world that God created. Sin entered the world through Adam's sin. Adam's sin brought death. That's why death happens. We look forward to heaven where there is no more death. There's only life and righteousness. So death spread to everyone. I love this thing. It's like, come on, Adam, why'd you do that? For everyone sinned. If I was there in that, you would have done it too. How do I know? Look at your life today. You ever fail to obey God? You ever fail to do the thing that you knew was the right thing to do? Of course you have. Welcome to the club. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is what Scripture says. And in that committing of sin, God being a holy and righteous and just God, it is right for him to distance himself from us because we, we only know what it's like to sin against like each other maybe, but imagine sinning, sinning against an eternally infinite holy being. We can't even begin to wrap our minds around that. We can't even begin to wrap our minds about the justice of that. But what's amazing about this God is that this God, though we were sinning against him, he did not push us away, but he came near to us through his son Jesus who came into the world as a representation of God's love. Maybe you don't know God that way today. Maybe you know a God that's further and further away from you the further and further you get from him. And nothing could be further from the truth. God is running faster after you than you could ever imagine. And the good news is he's a faster runner than you too. And if you let him catch your life and stop you where you are, he will surprise you with his love. You will not believe it. You'll say, I never found love like this that just loves to love, to love, to love. What about what I've done? Shh, I love you. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus, he came, it says, to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is the expression of that, God's rescue mission. Now, how did he do that? How is it that Jesus came to seek and to save us? The Bible tells us that Jesus came to do that, not by coming to be served, though he deserved to be served as the king of kings, but to serve. Here's how he did it. Here is how you and I get right with God. One way, through Jesus giving his life as a ransom. A ransom, a payment, paying for something. You see, we belong, we have a different slave master, and it's not God. It's sin and death. But Jesus came and lived a holy and sinless life so that through Jesus, he could be the one who has enough to purchase our lives. As he hung on the cross, the Bible says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we could be purchased into God and become righteousness in him. See, Jesus never sinned, but on the cross he was treated like he committed all of our sins. It's uh, this big theology word called substitutionary atonement. The idea, you get to trade places with Jesus. He takes your sin on the cross. That's his mission. He gives his life as a ransom. He takes your sin on the cross, and you receive the free gift of being forgiven by God. There's nothing like being forgiven. And there's nothing like feeling forgiven by God. And it's found in Jesus. There, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, but Jesus shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven. But what Paul is saying here about that rescue mission, that it finds its hope in not just Jesus' death, but his resurrection. Do we see that? See, Jesus is stepping up on the scene going, hey, what's up, humanity? How's it going? You have a big debt to pay. It's a big one. And he shows up and he says, I got it. I got this, right? Pulls out a checkbook, writes it. My life a ransom for many. Pays for our lives. But if all Jesus did was die for our sins and not rise, then his payment, it wouldn't have been sufficient. You, you ever done that? You ever paid for something and it came back insufficient funds and you're like, oh, this is embarrassing. Um, I just want a macchiato, okay? Um, 
insufficient funds, payment not accepted. You've got to rub the chip or whatever you've got to do to fix it. See, Paul says if Jesus didn't rise, the problem is you're still in your sins because though the payment was made, without the resurrection, the payment cannot be accepted. You pull out the resurrection, and Jesus was just another man who claimed to be a savior. You lose the hope of that. And lastly, you lose the hope, which is the ultimate hope of Christ, the ultimate hope of Christ. The last thing he says is that if Jesus never rose, not only is the Christian faith not true and everyone died for a lie, not only are we still in our sins and Jesus didn't save us because though he made the payment, it wasn't accepted through his resurrection. But thirdly, Paul says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. When you pull out the resurrection, you pull out the hope. First, of seeing your loved ones that have passed away ever again. And the idea here is speaking to the broader idea of life after death in what Paul is making a case here for, in what he calls resurrected bodies. Um, you see, the, the scriptures don't only teach popular common theology that, you know, uh, Jesus came into the world to snatch us out of earth and bring us to heaven in some ethereal form. Like, get out while you can. Don't get left behind, you know. That's commonly the idea that's taught. But what Jesus represents is not an escapist idea of salvation, but a, rest, a restorative idea of salvation. You see, God sent Jesus to come make all things right. There's going to be a day where the Bible says that even this earth is going to be renewed. We won't have to, we won't have to throw our hope on flawed politicians anymore. Some of you need to say thank God to that. We don't have to put our trust in man anymore. There's going to be a day where there will be one king on the throne. And the result of that is everything else is going to be right. Everything's going to be renewed. But there's this great hope as a Christian that if Jesus rose, if he's resurrected, you see there's this promise that the resurrection gives us. Jesus told us, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he's going to live. You see, the resurrection is not just about Jesus' resurrection. It's a promise of our resurrection as well. It says it this way. At First Thessalonians, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. By the way, he doesn't say that there's no sorrow in loss. I've lost many loved ones in my life. There's not that there's not sorrow. It's not that there's not hope without great grief, but there is not grief without great hope. In Jesus, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is the hope that the resurrection is leading us to. That there's a time, there's a place where all things will be made right. God is going to transform my very body, my very life. When I look at the resurrection, my mind immediately goes to seeing my mom again. I can't wait. And I believe that I will. Not because of wishful thinking, but because Jesus is alive. And I believe that promise, that it's not just some ethereal idea, but that Jesus really, I'm going to hug her again. I just went to a memorial service yesterday for a, a kid that was in my youth group. Um, he was here even at our church just a, just a month ago. And it's just like that, life, man. And I have this hope. That I'm going to give AJ the biggest hug one day. You can have that same hope. You see, when you have this hope, you don't waste your life living for the blip of life. You use your life to live for eternity. It's a whole different perspective. 
with that great hope. But remember, you pull these things out. So that's what Paul says. It's the Jenga piece. If you remove the resurrection, you remove the truth. You remove the resurrection, you remove salvation. You remove the resurrection, you remove the ultimate hope of Jesus that there's more to the story than what we see today. And as we close, I want to draw your attention to the verse of hope. Now, you know, it's almost like now that you understand, like, you know, that's a real bummer Easter sermon, Andrew. Like, everything that would, would be really bad if Jesus didn't rise. Let's pray, you know. How <laughs> was service? That was beautiful outside. A little cloudy inside. Um, but it's as if what Paul is saying is, now that you understand the weight of what's at stake here, you can appreciate the fact that he says in verse, look at it, it's verse 20, but now Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He is alive. And so understand, understand. Those 500 witnesses or so, they didn't die in vain. Even Jesus claiming his own resurrection, he was who he said he was because he is risen. You're no longer in your sins because Jesus not only made the payment, but the payment was accepted. He is risen. Your loved ones that you have said bye to, it's not goodbye, it's see you soon. Because Jesus has risen. It goes on to say that just as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so as we close out here... Um, that's where I'd like to lead this and just kind of ask that question to you. I'll invite the band to come out as we're going to close here in a time of response. But today, where are you at in your hope? We asked in the front end, what's the pillar of your hope? What are you building your entire life upon? And here's the question we have to lead with today. Is it the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is it what Jesus has accomplished? Or is your hope in what you can accomplish? Is your hope in what you can figure out? The greatest news about the Christian faith, maybe you've thought of Christianity as so long as like this thing that you have to do, you gotta get to work, I gotta get to God. We talked about it this morning, even in our volunteer meeting. Here's the invitation of Christianity. Come and take a rest. Just rest. Stop striving, Jesus paid it all. Stop trying to earn your way to God. Jesus is the hero. He rose from the grave. And at the end of this, this time here, it's important that we think about where am I at with Jesus? Where am I at with God? But what Paul closes with is that at the end of the day, there's, there's not necessarily two kinds of people as much as there's two kinds of places for people. All people are the same in that we have been made for God but have fallen from God and are in need of God, of His grace, every person. And at the end of the age, when, when God separates all of humanity, those who enter his kingdom and those who don't, it's not going to be those who were good enough and went to church. It's not going to be those who knew enough about the Bible or who could articulate the gospel message or who went to church beyond just Easter. Ooh, you know, gold star in heaven. No, at the end of the age, there's going to be two categories, those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. See, he tells us that in Adam, I'll die. That's, that's our default position apart from Jesus. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. Have you been made alive through Jesus? Have you moved from the place of being in Adam, in your sin, cut off from God, to through the ransomed life of Jesus in God, in Christ, the destiny of eternity, you have an understanding of where you came from. God made you. 
You have an understanding of, of even your life, of what's right and wrong, and he's making you into that. You have an understanding of your meaning. This is why I'm here, not just for me. And you have this great hope of your destiny, that death does not have the final word. Jesus rose, and I will too. Have you moved from that place of being in Adam to that place of being in Christ? Today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that come to Jesus, to be forgiven of your sins, to let the resurrection, listen, not just be something that happened in the past, but something that can happen to you today. Jesus rose from the grave 2,000 years ago so that he could rise you from the grave today, so that you can be made alive in him. To do that, here's what the Bible says. How do I experience that salvation? Well, the Bible says in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved, wishful thinking. Not you hopefully will be saved. Not if you do, do enough good things now, you come to church next week, 595, right? Not, not if you do this or that. You will, but it's through simply turning from yourself as your own Savior and casting the whole weight of your life and eternity on the only Savior. It's giving your life to Jesus. You turn and you trust in Him. And that simple resting. Never been there, has there been an offer like this. You rest. That's, what, that's the work you do. You rest and you get forgiven. Here's how we're going to do this. I want to put a prayer of faith and repentance up on the screen. If that's the Lord knocking on your heart right now, create a space between you and him right now. I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen. It's also on your bulletin. And with me, pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever dared admit. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I ever could imagine. Just meditate on that for a second. I recognize that I am so short of what you've called me to. I am so broken. I am so nothing without you. But through you, notice that, I am more loved and accepted than I could ever imagine. Speak that in your heart to God. Say this, I thank you for paying my debt on the cross, taking what I deserved in order to offer me complete forgiveness. Thank you for doing it all for me. Knowing that you have been raised from the dead, I turn from my sins and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com. 